Ezekiel 36. It's Ezekiel 36, and in my Bible, it's the wrong page probably, but it's page 723. Uh, we're coming to the end of the book of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel, this chapter especially, is especially known for its wonderful piece on God promising to give us new hearts. But before we get to this promise of God giving us new hearts, let's just zoom the camera out a little bit. I don't know if you've had this experience where you look through a camera, perhaps you've borrowed your parents' iPhone and you take a picture and you scroll, you, you zoom in by pinching wider and, you, and it just goes in like that. And you, you, you zoom in on the, table, on the glass on the table. Before we look at the glass, let's just zoom out. So just pinch in and you see the big picture. What's the point of it all? Now, the point of it all, as you'll hear, is that God's name is to be honored and to be praised. God is the one who is at work getting honor and praise for his own name. That is the ultimate goal of all that exists. It is so that God can get honor for his name. So uh, God speaks now to part of his creation in this portion that Kat would read to us. God is speaking to the mountains. And he's saying to the mountains, I am going to get honor and glory for my name on you, these mountains. So watch out, mountains. I'm going to get honor and glory for me on you. So let us hear as Kat reads, because the mountains are nothing without people. The section after that I will read, and it will be about the people that will be on these mountains, through, God, through which God will also get honor and glory for his name. So, Kat, come and read for us verses 8 to 15 of uh, chapter 36 of Ezekiel. But you, O mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they will soon come home. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. And I will multiply people on you, the whole house of Israel, all of it, the cities shall be inhabited and the waste places rebuilt. And I will multiply on you man and beast, and they shall multiply and be fruitful. And I will cause you to be inhabited as in your former times, and will do more good to you than ever before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will let people walk on you, even my people Israel, and they shall possess you, and you shall be their inheritance, and you shall no longer bereave them of children. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour people and you bereave your nation of children. Therefore, you shall no longer devour people and no longer bereave your nation of children, declares the Lord God. And I will not let you hear any more the reproach of the nations, and you shall no longer bear the disgrace of the peoples and no longer cause your nation to stumble, declares the Lord God. Thank you, Kat. Now, for the moment, if you can put a black screen on, that will be less of a distraction. Now, you might make out what this is. You might make out what this is. It is a canvas, isn't it? Now, imagine for a minute. I was an artist. Now, I'm not going to turn the canvas around just yet, but normally a canvas is blank on the other side. And uh, an artist would buy a canvas like this. By the way, an artist can buy these canvases at the range for quite cheap, as it turns out. Not so cheap, says Sarah. Okay. 
Oh, you don't buy anything from the range, okay. And before you start, what you're faced with as an artist is a blank canvas. Now, I have recently found myself in that position where I was staring at a blank canvas. Uh, and I should have done what God does in this portion we've just read. God speaks to the mountains, which is his canvas. And I should have stood there looking at this canvas and said, my canvas, dear canvas, on you, my dear canvas, I'm going to draw a picture. I'm going to draw a great, beautiful picture. And, and, and when people see this beautiful picture on there, especially the one whom we've made this picture for, she will look at this picture and say, wow, you are glorious. You are wonderful. What a gifted artist you are. I was going to make a portrait for myself, or for my wife, on this canvas that would bring great honor to my own name. So now my children already have their, hand, their, their fingers in their hand. What have you done, Dad? You should, have told, you should have checked with us if you want to do this. What we did for Stefani's birthday is we bought this canvas. And uh, the five of us, me and my four children, snuck into the garage. And we started painting ferociously. Halfway through, Stefan asked, are we going to sign our names at the bottom? At which point I said, we'll see. <laughs> I'm about to reveal this, and you'll see that it's unsigned. <laughs> but I have to first explain what it is. <laughs> so this is the scene of, uh, of, of, of a, a slippery slide on the farm that Stefani grew up on. Uh, and it's a scene of people sliding down the slide. And the people on there, we can actually make them out. For you, it'll just be little blotches on the, on the canvas. But we can make them out. So, so all you need to know is that when I turned this around, when we turned this around to our mother, she loved it. Loved it enough to cry. That's good. And all the people... <laughs> there we go. Oh, look at that. There's a pool of water somewhere there that you can't see, and it runs down this little stream. You can see it runs down all the way into a pool at the bottom, and there's people sliding down. That is my, my brother-in-law over there with his son in front of him. And that is one of my children sitting up there reading a book. And there's another. There's, my, there's Stefani's sister. And is this one Stefan or that one? I don't know. Which one are you? Oh, one of them. There's Timothy. And, and somewhere here is Stefani's mom and Stefani's dad. And there we sit, this beautiful scene. And you see, when you do art like this, you make stuff in order well, I think that's what artists do. I think they want to express something of their own disposition, their own character, their own name. I, I, ideally, I didn't want to use magic paint. I think the children, you've used some of the magic paint before, where when you paint a picture like this, you've just done painting it, and then you look at it, and all of a sudden these characters become alive. Have you had that before, children? You paint something, and you just look at it, and all of a sudden you can see the story. You can almost hear the noises as people slide down and laughter, and you can hear someone calling, is there any more water, or do we have some crisps that we can eat, and, and, and you can hear the noises, and, and this whole picture becomes alive. Now, what's happened to God's canvas, God made the world, and when he filled the world with his characters, with the people, they became alive, and the noises you heard when they became alive were awful. The noises you heard when God's people became alive on God's mountains 
The first noise we hear is the noise of murder. It's the voice of, of a brother killing another brother. It is the voice of incredible sin and rebellion and murder and strife and lies and debauchery. It's just everything about this painting that God painted at the beginning when he put the characters on there and they listened to the lie of the devil, all of a sudden the characters on there became evil in everything that they did. So do you think God was right to then look at this painting and his name is written in the corner, he's the one who painted it, and would he have been right to say, this painting will not bear my name. I've got two options. This painting will not bear my name because I will either rub out my name or I will rub out the people. That seems to have been his option. I either rub out my name of this picture and fold the whole thing up and bin it, or I rub out the people and I start again. Now, that was what the flood of Noah was all about. It seemed like God did rub out the people, and he did start all over again. And he started with a righteous man, Noah. And, and if you were to paint that painting, soon after Noah and his family became alive, and they were there in the new creation that was rid of all his sin, the sound you hear, it's again the sound of murder and of lies and of sin and of debauchery. All of it just all of a sudden went wrong. So you see, the problem wasn't just in people's behavior. There was something wrong inside of them. The problem was with their hearts. And this is what Ezekiel 36 is all about. It is about God promising not just to rub out the characters so that they won't sin anymore. It is, it is God not promising to fold up the whole painting and chuck all of the cosmos away into the bin. It is the promise of God coming to restore all of this, to restore creation and to put on creation people with new hearts that will no longer sin. So let's read about that promise. I'm going to put this away for a minute, and you can come and ask me about this afterwards. I can tell you which bits which of my children painted, which is, which is also very interesting, but that's for afterwards. So please turn back to Ezekiel. Uh, and let us uh, look uh, at the portion of Scripture that followed on from verse 15, verse 16. The word of the Lord came to me, this is Ezekiel, son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their, their ways before me were like the uncleannesses of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they have shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. Let me pause there and explain for a minute. God says, I've placed my characters in my land. I've put them on my canvas. And as soon as they became alive on my canvas, what did they do? Well, they committed sin. And, and we've seen in the book of Ezekiel what this sin was. It is the sin of death, of murder. That's what it's called. Uh, my wrath came upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land. It was injustice, a lack of social justice. God looked at the way that Israel was living in the land that he's given to them, and he saw just bloodshed and violence and murder. And we saw earlier in the book of Ezekiel, they did this because they committed idolatry. We, we saw a connection between what you worship and what you become. And whether it's the violence that leads to the false worship or it's the false worship that leads to the violence, we're not quite sure, but they're completely connected. What you worship is what you become. And you worship things that you are and love already. What does God do? 
He responds in justice. What does he do? Verse 19, I scattered them amongst the nations and I dispersed them through the countries in accordance with their ways and their deeds. I judged them. God judged them. In fact, in many ways, it is the small version of the flood of Noah. God came and he took his people that were in his place and he said, you're not bringing honor to my name. You do not fit on my canvas. And he just chased them off the edge of his picture in judgment. Verse 20, but when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name in the people. And the people said of them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of his land. You see, wherever they went, instead of spreading the holiness and the glorious name of God, wherever they came, people looked at them and said, why are you guys here? Why? I thought Israel is your land. I thought God gave you Israel. And they said, no, 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 no. Israel is not our land. We, we've committed, incre- we, we, well, perhaps many of them weren't even repentant yet. They said, no, that God, no, he wouldn't have our gods. And some, for some reason, God cared about the lives of the unborn that we sacrificed in our child sacrifices. For some reason, God cared about the elderly that we killed uh, in our worship. Uh, for some reason, God cared about the way that we suppressed women uh, and, and, and used them as temple prostitutes. For some reason, God cared about these things. I can't believe. And the people said, the God of Israel, he's the holy, holy, holy God we've heard. In fact, we're afraid of his holiness. And you guys are not. He has pushed you out. They are going to these nations and they profane the Lord's name. Verse 21, God says, but I had concern for what? I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned amongst the nations to which they came. You see, what we discover here is God, if I go just back one, see that line again, but I had concern, and we'd like to end that sentence, but I had concern for my people, right? Because we know God is gracious and kind and slow to anger and quick to forgive. We think that fits God. God is a God that cares for people. He has concern for people. But God only has concern for people because he has concern for his own name. God is fully and totally committed to the highest authority in all of creation, the name above all names. He is absolutely 100% committed to giving praise and honor to that name which is above every other name, his own name. In fact, it would be illogical and wrong for God to be lifting up something else as higher as himself. So he does not have concern for someone else's name first. He has concern for his own name, and because he has concern for his own name, he has concern for people made in his image, people who carries his name. God can, for that reason, only be a compassionate God if he cares for his own name because he is a compassionate God. Verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. God is about to act. We'll find out how he acts. But in this act, he is not doing it for their comfort, for their joy, and for their happiness, although they will receive comfort, joy, and happiness. He is not doing it primarily for that. He is doing it for his own name. God is committed to his own reputation in a way that brings happiness and joy to us. So why, what does God do? How does he act for his own name? Verse 23. 
I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. I'll stop there for a minute. The word vindication, have you come across this word before? Vindicated. There's a court case that played off this past week. Uh, it is of a man who studied at the University of Sheffield. He studied at the University of Sheffield in the caring industry, uh, and then uh, he uh, was asked privately about his views on human sexuality on Facebook. Uh, and there on Facebook, he uh, repeated the biblical uh, ethics of, the, of, of sexuality. He was uh, shortly dismissed off the course at the university, uh, and uh, he would not work in the caring industry because of his biblical views. So he took the university to court. It took him and his wife uh, four years with the support of Christian Concern and the Christian Legal Center. They, uh, they won the case this past week. And if you listen to him speak now, he says, I did this because I wanted to clear my name. I wanted to clear my name. I wanted to wash my name. My name was held up that I am a, a, a bigoted, homophobic fool. And I wanted to clear that name because I'm none of those things. I love people made in the image of God. And I see how sin has ravished us all. I see how sin has ruined us all. And my own name as someone made in the image of God is wrapped up in that. And this court case vindicated me. It washed me because it proved that I meant not to cause harm. I meant not uh, to, to, to hurt. I meant to, to heal and to save and to speak in line with orthodox historical Christianity. Vindicated. God is far more committed than that man was to his own name. And God will vindicate his name. And this is how he'll do it. At the end of this slide, you'll see. And the nations will know that I'm the Lord, declares the Lord God, when, <clears throat> when through you I vindicate my holiness through their eyes. Through you. He's speaking to Israel. He's speaking to his people, the people that has his name. He's speaking to the church, and he says, I will vindicate my name not in a court of law. I will vindicate my name through you. People will look at you, and they'll say, wow, God. God will take up the painting with a magic paint on where we've all turned into murderers and liars and killers, and God will, will redeem us and will restore us. And will renew us. And then he will sign the painting with his own name. And he will vindicate his name. Because people will look at us. And say this God is good. This God is loving. This God is kind. Now he starts verse 24. I will take you from the nations. Notice I will. This is God promising to do something. To people at that point in exile. In Babylon. And God promises, he says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. That's God's promise. I will do it. I will be the one that will gather you. In fact, before God told them that he will do it, he told the mountains. Did you hear when Cat read? God whispered to the mountains, I will bring Israel home. I'll bring them home. Can you see a father's excitement about the piece of land and the house that he has built for his people? And they're in a far-off country worshiping other gods and living in the way that they want to live. And God whispers to this house, this empty house, 
These walls will want again hear joy. These walls will be filled. This table will be filled with my children and my grandchildren as they, as they joy and as they run and as they laugh. I will bring my people home. And here God says to his people, I will bring you home. I will sprinkle, and this is the first thought, clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all, all your uncleannesses. Now, the first thing that God does is he sprinkles them clean. Now, for those of you that seen us baptize people here in Canada Water Church, we sprinkle water on them. We take water that we sprinkle on them, and we take this water as we sprinkle on them. It brings to mind a whole myriad of images in the Bible. We think in the Old Testament, perhaps you've read this in some of your children's Bibles, where Aaron would go into the Holy of Holies, and he'll take some blood, and he'll, he'll take the blood of, a, of, a, of a, a, a lamb that's just been killed, and he will sprinkle this blood over the altar. He will make it ritually clean so that there can be communion between God and his people. It would say, God, we know we're sinful. We know we deserve death. But this has died in our place, and here's the proof, the blood, and he'll sprinkle it. And that would bring closeness. And so God says, I will sprinkle you clean. I will make you ritually pure so that you can come into my presence. That is what John promised in the New Testament. That only those that have been washed with the word and with the spirit will be clean and will be fit for God's presence. And God promises that he will sprinkle them. He will clean them. That's the first start. He cleanses us. And you shall be clean from some of your uncleannesses all of your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Now, this is becoming heart surgery because you know where an idol resides. An idol is not in my pocket. We're addicted to our phones. When the battery is dead, th this thing is useless. But our hearts so desperately want to see what someone's status is that I will go and find a charger anywhere I would mind. I would find and illegally charge my phone because my heart desires to hear what the status of someone else is in Ohio. My heart is the thing that needs changing. It is the idol is not in my pocket. The idol is not in my hands. The idol is in my heart. And so when God comes and he cleanses us from our idols, it's no good if he just washes us on the outside. It's no good if he just takes our phones away. He has to change our hearts. And so the promise is, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean. I'll be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And then the promise, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And as if they've not heard it the first time, he carries on to say, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. God is 100% committed to his own name. And because he's 100% committed to his own name, he's 100% committed to you who bears his name. You are made in his image. He will not stop making you holy until when? Until when he's done. Why? Because you carry his name. That is the promise of this passage. If you are here today as a Christian and you are struggling with besetting sin, you are struggling with something that is just constant. You're a compulsive liar. 
Perhaps you're a, a serial materialist that cannot stop buying stuff and getting your identity in new stuff. Perhaps you're a comfort junkie that will not sleep until you've had a last bite of ice cream. Or tomorrow as you walk through the streets, you see those fresh pastries. You just have to have them. And that beautiful, comfortable seat in that library. I sit on this hard seat. I want the comfortable seat. And you just wait. And you jump and you take that. Comfort is what it's all about. Your whole life is about comfort. Your whole life is about the way that you look. Your whole life is about you in the middle. And you discover every evening as you fall before God's feet, you say, God, I'm so sorry for my self-centeredness. Please change me. This sin is ruining my life. I do not care for the poor because I trample on them as long as I can get a good deal. I don't care for the environment as long as I can live in comfort. I don't care for the oppressed as long as they can serve me. I don't care for any of these people because it's all about me. Please change me. If that has been your prayer for years and years and years, know this. God is far more committed to changing you into being a caring, compassionate, just person than you are. He's far more committed to change you, to cause you to walk in his ways than you are. You think it's a matter of self-discipline. He knows it's not a matter of self-discipline. He knows it's a matter of his spirit coming into your heart like you throw a rock into a small puddle and the water just splashes out. It is about your heart being filled up with the rock of his word until all the water of idolatry has been displaced. That's what he knows. And God says in this passage, I won't do it. I might do it. Perhaps. No. I will do it. I will do it, I will do it, I will do it. Now your question is, has God started in my life? Is God doing this in my life? Let's read, let's see. I will take out this heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you. You will obey my rules, my statutes. Verse 28, you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. That's God's promise. I will clean this besetting sin, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree uh, and the increase of the field abundant. He says, if God leans towards the mountains and to the trees, he says, they're home. Grow. They're here. My kids have come home. Just grow. Just pop out fruit everywhere. Just bless them with abundance upon abundance upon abundance. They're home. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Has the Lord, has the Lord started in your heart? Verse 31. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and your abominations. That's what God promises. He says, Christians, stop. Take it in. Take in the blessings that God has given. You've come into church this morning with an ungrateful, bitter heart. You're angry at someone. You're disappointed with something. You long to have someone else's life, spouse, house, job, car, children, money. And you come in and you sit here and you see them all. And they say, oh, I wish I had this. God says, be thankful. Look at the abundance that I've given you. I have given you my son. You were unclean, defiled with your chalk mining or with your coal mining, and you are coming into my presence. I've made it possible to cleanse you. Why? Because I've provided a fountain where you can wash yourself. 
And this fountain was not something that I just called a plumber to come and put in in front of my house so you can wash your hands before you come in. This fountain that I've put on, it is me that have cracked myself open so that life would pour out of me so that you'd be washed. That is what I did on the cross. I came to wash you. I came to pay your sin. And God says, I've done this. Look at the abundance that you have. Fill your hearts with thankfulness for all that you have. And when you do that, when you look at Christ in this way, you want to dig a hole. You, you will start to see that all of your efforts to feel good and to feel beautiful and to feel pretty and to feel just and to feel right and to feel compassionate, all of those little self-worship projects or self-improvement projects, all of those things were just more idolatry upon idolatry upon idolatry. And you'll say, I hope you'll say this with me, next Sunday we get to Ezekiel 37, remember? Ezekiel 37 is the valley of dry bones. And Ezekiel, who himself is a man, is called to preach to all these dry bones. I mean, it looks like, it looks like, you know, yeah, you know what it looks like. It's awful. And as he preaches to these dry bones, they become alive. But I imagine Ezekiel, himself a sinner, thinking, who am I to speak? Who am I to speak the words of life? And all of a sudden, they come alive. I am dead in my sin. Although I speak with passion and I hope with clarity, I speak as a person who himself is also struggling with besetting sin, who himself has to run to Christ only, who is the only salvation for my soul. We are dead without Christ. There's nothing good in us. Even this act, even this work, even this time that we spend together, there's nothing good in this if God does not take it through his spirit and consecrates it and makes it his own. Do you loathe yourself? Not self-flagellation. But do you loathe the sin residing in you? Do you, do you plan to kill the sin in you? Do you so hate this disposition of your heart to take every little comment that people make about life in general and make it about you? Are you so easily offended in the world that we live in because you are so central in the world that you live in and everything is about you? Can you start to see how low some we are? Someone pull us aside and perhaps they have a compliment to us. A beautiful thing to say. Your hair looks so lovely today. But what about my clothes? Have you not seen my shoes? Oh, you don't, you don't know how beautiful I am. Let me tell you. Do you understand how incredibly trivial we are? We are so incredibly concerned with ourselves. And God is here saying, look at what I'm doing. The abundance of salvation is yours. Ah, just see it, enjoy it, love it, and praise me for it. Verse 32. You're great. You're great, God says. But it's not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. If you want to know if this has started in your life... Is that how your prayers start, ashamed and confounded upon yourself? Is that how you start? Or do you start with the things that you need? I absolutely deserve this job that they've not offered to me. I'm quite angry, actually, Lord. Please help me with my anger. No. If 
Father, it is such a privilege for me to come into your presence just now. I do not deserve to speak to you, the master of the universe. I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and I beseech you to hear my prayer in his name. Please forgive my sin. As I lean close to you, please, I know I do not deserve to be here in your presence, but please hear me as I speak to you in the name of your son. That's the prayer of a man who knows, a woman who knows, a child who knows that they should be ashamed and confounded for their own sin. That's the one that hears, verse 33. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt and the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I'm the Lord. You see, we exist to glorify God. That's the only path along which you will find life, happiness, joy. And then according to Ezekiel 36 verse 33 to 36, the only place you will find abundance. That's the only way that there'll be abundance. Is if you become less and he becomes more. That's the only way. And God is so committed to his reputation that he will not stop until he has done it in you and through you. Will you let him is essentially the question. Will you view yourself as the insolent fool that you are? confounded about your own sin, would you see your own self-centeredness? Would you see your own unthankfulness, your own ungratefulness with the abundance of blessings that you have in Christ Jesus? Then God says, I will give you abundance. On that day, the, the day of his judgment, where he will truly start afresh, where all of our sin and besetting sin will be completely washed away and we will be completely filled with his spirit, unable to ever sin again. He will repopulate the heavens and the earth with his presence. And these mountains that he whispered to will finally have the children of Israel running around on them, the true children of Israel, with their new hearts. Now we have it in a substantial measure. You have substantial victory over your sin. You have substantial healing in your life. It's not yet complete. God's promise is the good that I've started, I'll bring to completion. But on the day when it's complete, we'll be running around in God's creation, God's renewed creation. And Romans 8 tells us that creation can't wait for that day. It's waiting with bated breath. Is this it? Finally, is God going to rid the world of self-centered, self-focused people and finally bring those people that are completely enthralled by God to rule over the cosmos? Is it now? Is it today? It better be today because look at what's happening in the world. It's not today. Let's see tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? Perhaps it's tomorrow. No, not yet. But with bated breath, all of creation is waiting. The trees are waiting to finally clap their hands as King Jesus comes down and walks on earth and his princes and princesses, all of his name bearers behind him, populate the earth that is his. And his glory will fill the earth as water fills the floor of the ocean. Hmm. How will God do this? Verse 36. It's clear he will do it. I have rebuilt the ruined places. I have replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I have spoken. I will do it. I have spoken. 
If you're here this morning and you do not trust this as the word of God, the living word of God that speaks to us, if you do not trust that what we've just read was the God of the universe that that put those words down in his book that he has given to us so that a man will stand up, a woman will stand up and read it, and I'll preach it in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you do not trust that this is the word of God, then you are blind to God being at work in the world around us. I can say it another way. If you get up every morning, and this is not your guide to your day, to your life, if you live your life without reference to God's word, I will probably be able to show you that you are trying to dress up as someone who's alive in Christ whilst you're dead on the inside. That is how sad and how real this is. This, this whole promise here is the promise of regeneration, that God would give us new hearts, but God gives us new hearts through his word. He gives us new hearts through the preaching of his word. He gives us new hearts through the celebration of his word. The sacrament, the Lord's Supper just now, is actually his word, just not in an audible form, but in an edible form. It's God's word that takes cold and stony hearts and melt them and make them alive. In other words, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, and you know you stand cold and bitter towards the Lord, start here. Start here. Restart here. Restart here. Pick this up again. Read this. It's a great joy to me to discover just recently that a number of us are following a Bible reading plan by, uh, by, by Robert Murray McChaney. You want to just Google that, Robert Murray McChaney Bible reading plan. Uh, you'll be in sync with a bunch of people in this church that's read, what's it, Joshua today and, and Psalms. And you'll find yourself just tracking with people as we're reading it. Don Carson has split it up into two years, so you don't read the whole Bible in one year. You read it in two years. Let me encourage you to go back to this. I've spoken. I will do it. How will you know what God is doing if you've not heard what he has said? So I implore you to do this. Now I close with three applications. The applications are perhaps a little bit disconnected from all that I've just said. But the first one is that the environment matters. That sounds strange to you, but God values the mountains. And he speaks to them. And creation is valuable to God. In fact, Jesus, when he was resurrected, did not take on the form of a floaty spirit, but he was a body, a human body that ate fish. And you could touch him. God's future is material, and it's material on the very earth that we live on at the moment. God cares for creation. What is ruining creation is not global warming, although it is having a considerable effect. What's ruining creation is not burning coal in fire stations, in, in power plants. What's ruining creation is, is not our plastic wrappers. What is ruining creation is our sin. And it takes on the form of all those things I've just said to you. But it is our sin. Our rebellion against God is ruining the, crea the, the creation that God has given us. That's the first practical application that you need to understand. Secondly, there is a crying need in our world not for more laws, not for more rules, not for more restrictions. God even himself, when he takes his people and he scatters them, that is not the answer to change them. Punishing them in that way turns out not to be the way to change them. The only way to change them is by the grace of gathering them in and washing them and giving them new hearts. If you're a child, will you please understand that that is your parents' goal? When they punish you, when they rebuke you, they do that because they do not think the punishment will change you. They pray to God 
that you will receive a new heart. If you're a parent, is that the goal of your parenting? Not just to change behavior, but to change hearts. Are you praying for your children? Are you preaching the gospel to your children? If you're with housemates in a house that you share, do you think the only solution to this is, is perhaps a coldness and an angriness? Or do you know what is needed here is changed hearts? It's to have a heart-to-heart conversation about the way that we do not love each other. Or the way that we love each other too much, making ourselves unidle for one another. Do we understand that the battleground is not in the hands, but it's in the hearts? And God is committed to changing them if we follow his way. And lastly, do you make much of the resurrection and of the future new heavens and new earth? Do you make much of it? Do you long for it? Because you need that. Brothers and sisters, if you're here this morning and you are denying yourself because you're a follower of Jesus, you're denying yourself uh, giving, giving expression perhaps to a desire that you have to someone that you should not marry or should not engage with in any romantic way. You're denying yourself, but it feels so right. But you deny yourself. What do you give yourself as you fall asleep thinking, I'm denying myself for what? For the resurrection. For the new heavens and the new earth. That is what I'm denying myself for. Are you, are you living in the new creation? Is that where you find, you remember, but there is where I will be ultimately satisfied. I will run there. I will rest there. I will dream there. But in this world, I will take up my cross and follow Jesus. I will deny myself. I will lay down my life. As many of you know, there has been a great march, a massive march, millions of people, well, 1.5 in one march, but there was another march in Brazil, a beautiful march with one purpose. Three million people gathered in the streets in Sao Paulo. They did only one thing, Rachel. They sang to the glory of God. They walked in the streets and just sang praises. Why are you rioting? Why are you parading? Why are you to praise Jesus? We are walking the streets to bring honor and glory and praise to Jesus. The biggest Christian gathering that there's ever been in the world. That's how some of the newspapers have reported on it. Bringing praise and honor. That is people that realize that our lives do not exist to satisfy ourselves. But our lives exist to satisfy and glorify and worship him. May that be the drumbeat of your heart as you leave the service today. That I will serve in humility, myself becoming less, working hard against the pride of my own heart to glorify him that is worthy of all praise. Let me pray. Our oh, Father in heaven, we long for this prophecy to be fully fulfilled in our day and in our age. We long for this prophecy to be fully, completely fulfilled today. That's what we long for. We long for you to come back today and, and to finally complete the, the complete searing away of all besetting sin in me and in everyone, of, everyone else on the world, to, to complete the good that you have begun in us. And we long for the mountains and the, and the snow cap and the Arctic uh, and, the, and the Sahara to be, to be filled with the glory of the Lord. The ocean depths to be filled with the glory of the Lord, for everything to be restored in its full beauty. All and everything where you look, just singing 
praise God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We long to hear the trees clap to that tune. We long to see the waves of the ocean roll to that tune. We long to hear the children of God sing to that tune. So we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come and subdue all sin in us and make us 100% new and populate the earth and the heaven with your people as they sing your praises. This gives us great privilege, Father, to pray what this prophecy promises at the end. It says, thus says the Lord, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock. This is our prayer. Please increase the people of your flock. We know, we've read this earlier in Ezekiel, that you take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but you long for them to turn, to repent, to listen to your word, to be reborn and to come to life and to live eternally with you. We pray, increase your flock for your name's sake. Get much honor and glory for yourself by taking men and women and boys and girls in this church service today by the scruff of the heart and bring them to yourself. Gather them to yourself. Gather their desires to yourself. Gather their dreams and their imaginations, their hopes and aspirations. Gather them to yourself. Cleanse them and give them this new heart, this new spirit that's in love with you. That is so absolutely besotted with you that they cannot stop thinking about you and your goodness and your beauty. Please, Father, come increase your flock. That is our prayer. Increase your flock and do this for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.